Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The events in this program are inspired by a true story. Names, dates, and details have been changed. Viewer discretion is advised. On this episode of Bizarre Murders. Roll camera. And action. <laughs> Blake and Eden play star-crossed lovers on the most popular soap opera on TV. Patch, I'm sorry. He looked exactly like you. Their legions of fans are obsessed with the on-screen couple. <laughs> and the passion of their relationship. No! It has to end. <laughs> but when one of them ends up dead. <laughs> and thrown away like trash. Detectives come knocking on the door of the small screen melodrama. I'm not coming out. Looking for answers. Nobody should die that way. I've never seen anything that horrific. One of the duties of a pathologist is to determine the cause of death. Watch on mobile devices or the big screen. All for free. No subscription required. Download Beely now. Make sure to like and subscribe. Los Angeles, California, 2013. On a warm summer morning, a former model turned actress takes her daily stroll to a local strip mall. That is one swanky shit hoo. When she makes a surprising discovery in the car park. Detective Byers is called to the site. Do something about this. <laughs> they don't deserve to live. It's that actor chick. He identifies the body as soap opera star Eden from The Liars and the Lustful. Uh, let's cut. Eden's father, John, Eden, honey, is the director and creator of the most watched soap in the country. Trixie's devastated. Patch has just stormed out the door, so we really need to amp up the emotion. Okay, got it. All right, let's go again. Roll camera. And action. He's <laughs> oh, so young. Detective Byers believes Eden was most likely bludgeoned to death by the trophy she won as part of the most famous soap opera couple ever to hit the small screen. All right, everybody, step back. Why would anybody do this? When a celebrity is killed, it can be hard to keep the investigation under wraps. Give us some space. Give me some space. As an investigator, knowledge is power, and holding back key points of the investigation from the media is a very strategic move. You see, that way, if someone gives up information only the killer would know, then bam, you've got yourself your prime suspect. The first suspect on Detective Byer's radar is Eden's husband and agent, Ty. So, Ty, how did you two meet? On set. She's a client of mine. He's taken her from unknown actress to soap opera star to worldwide brand. Have any fights? No. I mean, you argue, but no big fights. The spouse is always the first person investigators look at. Was he cheating? Was she cheating? Did he get jealous and decide to offer? Ever get physical? No. It sounds like I'm recounting a soap opera plot, but believe me, this stuff happens all too often in real life. He was my everything. We were a dynamic duo. 
would never hurt her. Ty tells the detective that on the night of the murder, he had dinner at Mr. Chow with two of his most famous clients. Robert Menero and Clayton Leithwood, you know them? Actor type? Yeah. Not only did other diners see him there, he was photographed by the paparazzi going into the restaurant. The bad thing about being famous in Hollywood is that you can't go anywhere without being watched or followed. Just ask the Kardashians. The paparazzi can be a menace, but if you're an innocent man being questioned for the murder of your wife, and they can provide you an alibi, maybe there is a use for the paps after all. After confirming Ty's alibi, Detective Byers is searching for his new lead. Detective Byers? Yes, how can I help you? When it literally walks through the door. I have some information about Trixie's murder. Really? Blanche, who found Eden, tells the detective that she's an avid fan of the soap opera, The Liars and the Lustful. For 20 years, I haven't missed a single episode. What are they going to do next season? I don't know. I don't watch it. I was so honored to be the one to have found her body. You know, my apartment is right across the street from there. The day of the murder, she remembers seeing a car idled for a long time. My antenna went up, and I knew something wasn't right. It seemed suspicious enough for Blanche to write down the license plate number. In the case of a celebrity death, everybody's got a theory, and rumors spread like a California wildfire. Usually, amateur detectives are a nuisance for cops, but in this case, an avid fan's keen eye just might turn this case around. You know, we all need to pull together to find Trixie's killer. Eden. Eden's killer. Pardon? pardon? Never mind. A search of the license plates reveals that one of the cars belongs to Eden, and the other belongs to Blake, Eden's co-star, a.k.a. Patch. This kind of lucky break doesn't happen often in my line of work. Usually detectives just pound the pavement day after day, putting their case together. But sometimes even the grittiest jobs are sprinkled with Hollywood stardust. So when it happens, you just look up and thank your lucky stars. Two years ago, Blake was a struggling actor who worked as a stripper by night while auditioning during the day. A good Midwestern farm boy with more looks than talent, he came to Hollywood to fulfill his lifelong dream of winning an Oscar. But when he couldn't find work, he used the one thing he did have in his arsenal to pay the bills, his body. It's also where he met his wife, Cassie. Did you have him follow me? Because I've learned something about you, Trixie. I've learned I can't trust you anymore. Eventually, he gets his lucky break and lands a plum roll on The Liars and the Lustful. I can't live without you. Patch, I love you. He's cast as Patch, the tempestuous, impulsive lover of Eden's character, Trixie. And I hate you. Their drama-filled relationship soon thrusts them into fame's bright spotlight. And fans can't get enough of their favorite couple. Blake. Detective Byers asks Blake to come down to the station for questioning. For you, sir. I'm all right, thanks. More for my fans. We have a little problem, Blake. Your car was seen in the parking lot where Eden was murdered. That's absurd, Detective. I mean, there's there's no way that's even possible. Blake insists the witness must be mistaken. He claims he stayed in all day with his wife. Do you know there's a surveillance camera in the store in that parking lot? Sees your car, plain as day. In cop parlance, this is called a bluff. You know your suspect is lying, but you have no proof. So you bend the truth a little bit just to see if you can force his hand. With a little luck and a half-decent performance, he'll crack. Okay, 
Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what you want to know, but you're not going to like it. Try me. Detective Byers beat Blake at his own game and tricked him into confessing. Now let's see if Blake will spin another tall tale or finally cop to the truth. Why was your car there, Blake? Under pressure from Detective Byers, Blake cracks. Well, the only reason my car was there is because he didn't ask me to come and meet her. Patch, I'm sorry. You looked exactly like you. I love you. Blake tells Detective Byers that he and Eden are friendly on set. I know. But according to Blake... No, no, cut, 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 cut. Six cut. months into their torrid on-screen affair... Terrific. Really doing great, but... Eden begins to fall for her co-star. We need you to play harder to get, to make her work for it. She flirts incessantly, hoping for a passionate relationship off-screen as well. All right, good? Yep. All right, let's go again, and roll sound. Blake denies her advances. Thank you. Trying to concentrate solely on the work. Blakey, we've got a few minutes before our next scene, so I was thinking that we could... Uh, Eden, no, let's save our passion for the screen, okay? You suck. Tired of being rejected, Eden refuses to return to the set. I'm not coming out! Come on, honey, come on out. Go away! They shut down filming for the day. Blake. But not before Blake is given a warning. I need you to fix this. Production's counting on you. Concerned he'll be fired, Blake reaches out to Eden. He doesn't want his first big break to be his last big break. And if Eden doesn't return to set, he fears it's his neck on the line. Wish me luck, man. Knowing how volatile Eden can be, Blake treads lightly. I really want us to get along, Eden. Really? But Eden takes his peace offering Eden. as a come on. No, I, I'm married. So am I. What's that got to do with it? Eden, our love exists. It's just, it's on screen through Patch and Trixie. No. If I can't have you, no one will. In a fit of rage, Eden attacks Blake. No! Trying to fend her off, he grabs the only thing in sight, his trophy, and slams it into Eden's head. Oh, my gosh. Eden! No! 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 I never meant to hurt her. I just... Panicked. Thank you. That's your story. Yes. Then how do you explain that? Detective Byers tells Blake that the fingerprints on the trophy that bludgeoned Eden weren't his. They're your wife's. It's impossible. She would never do this. Blake and Cassie marry shortly after meeting and get an unexpected wedding present. And this is the kitchen? When Blake lands the part of Patch on The Liars and the Lustful. What do you think of this? Oh, wow. Not bad, eh? This is so cool. <laughs> I know, right? Cassie thinks they've hit the jackpot. Why, oh my, who do we have here? Until she meets Eden, his beautiful co-star. Blake. Oh, Blake, I, we've been expecting you. Really? You've heard of, of me already? Of course, you're my new lover. Wow. No. <laughs> I, that's a huge compliment. I mean, quite frankly, I just wanted to let you know that 
I am a huge fan of your work. No, no, I think oh, you're, you're an artist. Oh, you're making me blush. You're gonna turn me all pink. Stop. Cassie gets more and more jealous as Patch and Trixie's on-screen love affair grows. What is this? <sighs> Babe, it's just a part. She means nothing to me. I mean it. Shush! But Cassie can't stop obsessing. So, let's backtrack a second. Cassie's prints were found on the murder weapon, and she's clearly green with envy over her husband's relationship with Eden. A jealous lover killing their rival is not just the makings of a good soap opera plot. It happens all the time in real life. I've seen the most reasonable people lose it because they think their loved one is cheating on them. The problem is, once they get the seed of doubt planted deep in their mind... That is not nothing. They can't get it out. And they obsess over it until it becomes so overwhelming that the only way to release the mounting pressure is to confront it. I'm sensing hints of fatal attraction. You know what I mean? Have a seat. Am I in trouble? Looks like detectives are honing in on Blake's wife, Cassie. She can't deny her fingerprints were found on the murder weapon. But that doesn't mean that's the end of the story. It's my guess she's got a tale of her own to tell. Funny thing is, the bloody fingerprints are yours. It's not what you think. Cassie cracks under the pressure. Eden was in love with him. She confirms Blake's claim that Eden was aggressively pursuing a relationship with him. She kept making advances and he kept saying, you know, I'm married. But that's where the similarities between Blake and Cassie's story ends. Babe, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for You're tonight. Welcome. Wine, chocolate, you know, mm -hmm. maybe we could do a little bit less of the chocolate. But... Yeah, I think we need less chocolate. <laughs> anyway, babe, I actually um, got a new copy of the script and... The day of the murder, Blake tells Cassie that Eden wants to meet with him to rehearse an upcoming scene. Do you really think I'm that stupid? Believing that Eden has finally got her claws into Blake... I'm on to you. No, Cassie Cakes, come on. Cassie accuses him of cheating on her. Why would I want her when I have you? <laughs> Babe, no, calm down. No, it's okay. Is... In an attempt to calm Cassie down, he invites her along to the rehearsal. I'll show you. It's all very innocent. You'll see. Cassie hides in the back seat of the car as Blake meets with Eden. Hi, Blakey Doodle. And soon gets proof her suspicions were right. I guess we won't be needing this. Eden, no, I, I'm married. Our love exists. It's just on screen through Patch and Trixie. No, if I can't have you, no one will. Worried Eden is about to kill her husband, Cassie comes to Blake's defense and grabs the closest thing to her. Cassie, what have you done? Cassie insists that she hit Eden in self-defense. I mean, she was going to kill him. What was I supposed to do? You should have seen the look in her eyes. Mm -hmm. She tells Detective Byers that Blake confessed to protect her, but he had nothing to do with it. Really? Looking for the truth, Detective Byers sets out to talk to the cast and crew of The Liars and the Lustful. Detective Byers. John. Sorry about your loss. Thank you. He quickly discovers that Blake's story about Eden's obsession is a little more fiction than fact. Eden loved her husband. They were a match made in heaven. As the detective delves deeper into the soap opera world, he learns that Blake is known as a method actor. He took his craft very seriously. For those of you who aren't in the know, the method is a style of acting where the actor totally immerses himself in the role and tries to truly experience the emotions of their character. He wanted us to call him Patch even when the cameras weren't rolling. Seriously? 
It all sounds a little complicated to me, but hey, I'm not an actor, so I'm going to leave it to the pros. No! No! It has to end! Go! On the day of Eden's murder, John surprises the cast by writing Blake out of the show. Cut! That's a wrap! He feels a dramatic breakup scene is exactly what their ratings need. <laughs> John. Yes, yes. Blake begs John to reconsider the breakup of Trixie and Patch. I have so much more story to tell. But John refuses. There's not a chance, Blake. It's for the best. Really good work. Hey, Eden. I need you to talk to your father. Blake, I I'm sorry. Once my dad's made up his mind, there's... There's no changing it. The desperation of a person trying to get what they want can drive them to do unspeakable things. And Blake is one desperate dude. But this is taking things to the extreme. He's sunk so far into his role that he's unable to distinguish what is real and what isn't. There's a different word for that in my line of work. It's called delusional. Hey, I need to talk to you in person. Hey, buddy. Are... It can't end like this. Are you okay? Can you meet me somewhere? Yeah, sure. Just, just let me know where. Okay. Okay, thanks, huh? So this flies in the face of what both Blake and Cassie told Detective Byers. If Blake arranged for the meeting, not Eden, then that puts things in a totally different light. It speaks to intent, and it speaks to premeditation. Did Blake have it in his mind to make Eden pay because he was being cut from the show? Was he going to threaten her and then things went sideways? Or was his plan always to get rid of Eden for good? Right now, Blake's motivation isn't clear. But either way, he's writing the final act of his one-man show. And it ain't going to be pretty. Detective Byers now knows that both Blake and Cassie are lying to him. But he gets an even bigger surprise when the autopsy reports come back. It reveals Eden died not by a blow to the head as originally suspected, but by strangulation. The detective has two versions of Eden's death, and neither one of them involve strangling someone to death in self-defense. So what does that mean to Detective Byers? The short answer is this. Someone's lying. So, Detective Byers confronts Blake with the evidence that Eden was strangled. What do you have to say about that? Directly contradicting Blake's earlier story of killing Eden in self-defense. Cough it up. What's the real story? The actor's tough exterior crumbles. You got me. He tells the detective he had no choice. She deserved it. When Blake gets home from set after performing his final love scene with Eden, he's devastated. She broke up with me. What? Trixie broke up with me. They're cutting me from the show. Blake lies to Cassie, telling her John would prefer to keep Patch on the show rather than Trixie. But he can't fire his own daughter. She is nothing but trouble. First, she tries to steal my man, and then she gets you fired? There is another way. What do you mean? This, my friends, is a brilliant course in Manipulation 101. Playing on someone's insecurities is a surefire way to get them to do what you want. In this case, Blake needs an accomplice, and he knows his wife's jealousy will cause her to go along with just about any plan he suggests. We need to kill Trixie. You mean Eden? Yes, of course. Eden, we need to kill Eden. In an attempt to get rid of her biggest rival and finally have her husband all to herself. Let's do it. Cassie agrees.
How you doing, buddy? You shouldn't have done it, Trixie. I... What? Blake, that's my character. It's... It's Eden here. What's up? You never should have broken up with me. Are you okay? Get your hands off of him! Stop! Take that, you man-stealer! When they're sure she's passed out... You can't say I didn't warn you, Trixie! Blake proceeds to strangle Eden to death with his own hands. Cassie and I went out for sushi afterwards. And I got California rolls because I don't really like raw fish, but she ended up getting this. Blake! Why did you do it? She broke up with me. You mean your characters broke up? On TV? No, I mean... Trixie broke up with me. Patch, get up. Detective Byers charges Blake and Cassie Turn around. with first-degree murder. It's over, Blake. Patch, you can call me Patch. They both receive a life sentence for murdering Eden. By the way, can I get my trophy back after all this? No. The fact that Blake cares more about his soap opera award than the human life only reinforces what we know about him. He's living in an alternate reality, kind of method acting his way through life. While in prison, Blake and Cassie divorce. But Blake doesn't stay single for long. He soon takes up with a pen pal, a longtime fan of The Liars and The Lustful. She agrees to call him Patch. So what we have here is a man unable to distinguish fantasy from reality. In Blake's mind, he was his character, and when Trixie broke up with Patch, Blake felt the anger and humiliation that goes along with being ditched like a hot potato. And because he probably suffers from some type of narcissistic personality disorder, there was no way he was going to let her treatment of him go unpunished. It was easy for him to get Cassie to agree to the plan because she hated Eden and figured if she was out of the picture, they would live happily ever after. But while planning the perfect murder may work out in soap operas, it rarely happens in real life. In reality, the couple that kills together doesn't stay together. But somehow I don't think Blake, or rather Patch, really minds. I guess there are advantages to living in a fantasy world. The events in this program are inspired by a true story. Names, dates, and details have been changed. Viewer discretion is advised. On this episode of Bizarre Murders, when two wealthy retirees looking to help the homeless... This is your new home, Frank. I'm not, I'm not sure what to say, man. ...take a vagrant under their wing. It seems like a win-win situation for everybody. Plus some pocket money for walking tickles now and then. But when a dead body turns up the victim of a hit and run, investigators wonder, is this a tragic accident? Or do they have something far more sinister on their hands? team needs a third to fill in Saturday. See Ruth of the Dead. So, I said with him, I said, Jimmy, not in the green room. Oh. oh. <laughs> the last time you told that one, it was Mick, not Jimmy. Jimmy, Mick, you've seen one, you've seen them all. Oh. <laughs> it's Tuesday, and that means movie night. Folks, tonight, heaven can wait uh, with Lauren Beatty. Well, we have other plans tonight, now, don't we, Pete? Besides, there's only so much of that scoundrel Mr. Beatty one can take. Speak for yourself, Flo. <laughs> Flo and B are two old friends who live together at the Spring in Your Step Retirement Village. It's an upscale, exclusive retirement community on Florida's Atlantic Coast. 
good boy, Tickles. We won't be out long. They're an unlikely pair. Flo's a former dog breeder from an established family. Years ago, her husband died suddenly, leaving her some insurance money. I don't know. Oh, where's my lighter? <laughs> You're not lighting that in here. <laughs> well, you gotta die sometime, so you might as well make the best of it. <sighs> B is an aging flower child who had a successful career promoting rock and roll bands. Their paths crossed in the 70s when one of B's rock and roll clients needed a dog groomer. Despite their different backgrounds, they hit it off and became the best of friends. It was fun at first in the retirement home, but they couldn't shake the feeling that they were still young at heart and deserved a more exciting retirement. When Flo and B aren't playing cribbage or golfing, they spend a few nights a month at the homeless shelter, lending a hand to the less fortunate. Gentlemen and lady, last week we talked about dressing for success. And from the look of things, we can tell that you've taken our advice. So tonight, we're going to cover some more basics, starting with this little pearl of wisdom. A penny saved is a penny earned. Just look at us. When I retired from the FBI, my wife thought I'd go crazy, you know, with nothing to do, no bad guys to catch, and no crime scenes to work. Luckily for both of us, I spent a lot of time in the garage with my classic car collection. Did I say classic? I mean old. But let's face it, for a lot of retirees, life can get pretty monotonous. And these two dames are no exception. For them, mixing it up means amusing themselves with some charity work and their generosity extends way beyond giving life lessons and slinging beans down at the shelter. This is your new home, Frank. What do you think? I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what to say, man. It's also generous. Oh, well, it's just like we said, Frank. <laughs> we just know when somebody deserves a second chance. You said you used to be a writer. So, this is your lucky day. Now you can write all you want. But let's start with a little signature, shall we? Then we can add you to our Modest Arts Foundation as a member. Okay. Well, what is this? Just some routine paperwork stating that we're your landlords, but we pay all the bills and rent, plus some pocket money for walking tickles now and then. That's what I call a generous offer. Walk my dog and you can write the great American novel. Now, far be it from me to cast doubt on the kindness of strangers, but it can be a risky business. As an investigator, I'm telling you that trusting old ladies like Flo and B are among the most vulnerable people out there, and the bad guys know it. Their intentions might be good, but for sketchy dudes like Frank, they're also the perfect mark. Almost two years after Frank signs the agreement, police find his lifeless body in an empty parking lot. Detective Carey catches the case. Security camera footage confirms that Frank was killed by a driver who fled the scene. But the license plate is invisible, and the make of the car isn't clear. As investigators, we don't like hit-and-run situations. People who commit them are the worst sort of cowards, and they sometimes get away with it because, like with this case, there's often no witnesses, no tags, no make of car if it doesn't leave any body parts behind, just a human body and some skid marks. And Frank has no ID on him. He's just another homeless guy whose life got tossed away. Sadly... He's forced to shelve the case as an accident until some hard evidence saying otherwise turns up. A week after Frank's body is discovered, Detective Carey gets a visit from an insurance company investigator named Charles. Hey, my premiums are already paid in full, and double indemnity comes with the job just to ask my wife. I already did, Detective, but that's not why I'm here. 
Your hit and run has been ID'd, Detective. Go on. A pair of elderly ladies, it seems, called the police when their attendants show up to walk the dog. They were then directed to the coroner. The dog? Yes, the dog. A standard life insurance policy has a maturation period of two years, after which any claims are generally not investigated. But Frank's policy was just two days shy of maturing when he was killed, which means Charles is obligated to investigate the manner of Frank's death. You know, us detectives are no strangers to the insurance world. After all, life insurance is one of the main reasons people whack each other. But adjusters like Charles rarely get directly involved in police investigations. And Detective Carey doesn't know how this guy can help him find whoever ran down Frank. The toxicology report shows alcohol and a sedative in Frank's system. You know, most hit and runs, they take damage in the lower body, but uh, Frank was hit in the chest. He must have been lying on the ground the whole time. Driver likely didn't even see him. This dude had insurance. Yeah, he had a $3 million life insurance policy. For a homeless guy. Holy shit. Mr. Bob Reno was not a homeless detective, I assure you. So here we have a homeless guy who wasn't really homeless. And it turns out he's worth millions to a pair of little old ladies. Now down at the bureau, that's what we'd call a big red flag. Charles reveals that Frank was a down-on-his-luck rider who was rescued from the streets by two retirees named Flo and B. Not only had they set him up with a place to live, but according to the insurance documents, Flo has a little dog-walking business, so they gave him a job, too. Free apartment, an easy job. It's a pretty sweet deal, right? Pretty sweet for everybody, because Frank didn't have just one insurance policy. He had a whopping 10. That's why he was worth so much as a dead man. And the beneficiaries? Oh, come on. You've guessed by now. That's him. That's our friend. <laughs> Poor man. How awful. To trigger the insurance policies, Flo and B have to claim Frank's body. But because Frank's death is ruled an accident, the medical examiner has no reason to notify Detective Carey that he's been identified. Carey. But then, Carey gets a call from a detective from a different department, who tells him he's heard about his case. It sounds a lot like another hit-and-run incident the other detective caught about five years back. That's strange. Send me over the file. I'll have a look at it. Yeah. Okay, thanks, buddy. The woman, Pearl Asner, was killed by a hit-and-run driver, struck in an almost identical manner as Frank. The case was never investigated, but two elderly ladies who weren't related to the victim picked up the insurance payout. It was unusual, but at the time, not suspicious. Armed with this new information, Detective Carey and Charles team up. Charles discovers that when she was killed, Pearl was living at the same apartment where Frank later lived, the apartment belonging to Flo and B. Like Frank, Pearl had also been homeless before meeting the two ladies. And when Pearl was killed, Flo and B had collected on the life insurance to the tune of half a million dollars. Two homeless people suddenly worth a fortune? Well, that's quite a coincidence. And if you've heard me before, you know detectives don't believe in coincidences. But even though the investigators now suspect Flo and B are behind a sick and twisted insurance scam, there's no evidence tying them directly to the actual murder. All they know for sure is that the nice ladies helped out Frank and insured him, and those aren't crimes. Yeah, the whole thing looks highly suspicious, but it doesn't matter what it looks like. The question is, will they be able to prove anything? Or are these grifting grannies getting away with murder? Would you like something to drink? No. No drink, but would you like a homemade hemp seed cupcake? No. Well, it's just such a shame about our dear Frank. Isn't it my good man? But I'm sure all our paperwork is in order. I'm afraid there is a slight problem. 
beg your pardon. What problem might that be? Well, there's an investigation going on into Frank's death. So you ladies might not be getting the money now or ever. Ever? I gotta go. Thank you for coming. Bye-bye. God damn it, this is an outrage. Now what do we do? They can't trace anything back to us, can they? Oh, shut up and let me think. I don't want to go to jail. Stop talking. If they knew anything, we'd already be in jail. But we better find someone else or we're going to go broke before you know it. Get dressed. We're going down to the shelter. Now. Can you believe this? Our ladies are on the cops' radar, and they still think they can pull another fast one. And that's pretty bold, and that's pretty dumb. But Flo's right. Investigators can't prove anything yet, or else Flo and B would be doing the perp walk right now instead of heading to the shelter. They figure, why not? They can't bust them for being kind to the homeless, can they? Detective Carey follows Flo and B around for the next few days. He's certain they're looking for another victim. Well, you seem to be having a rough day, young man. But maybe we can help him out. What do you think, Flo? I think we most certainly can. What's your name, sweetie? Flo. 3 p.m. Looks like our suspects are making a new friend. Going undercover is all about blending in. And even though Detective Carey has an advantage because our ladies have never met him, there's always a chance they'll smell something fishy. Crooks are like that. They have this kind of built-in cop detector, so the detective has to be extra careful. If Flo and B realize they're under surveillance, they might bolt. Well, now, what do we have here? Give me a second. Oh. There's still nothing concrete linking Flo and B to Frank's hit and run, so they can't bring them in on murder charges. But they need to bring them in on something. Okay. Thank you. Detective, we just caught a break. There is no dog business registered in Flo's name. So technically, Frank wasn't an employee. So what? What does that mean? Well, it means that Flo lied through her teeth on the insurance application. I know it might not sound like a big deal lying about a dog-walking business, but when this little itsy-bitsy lie is put on an insurance form, which is then mailed to the insurance company via the United States Postal Service, it becomes a very big deal indeed. And it's federal. It's called mail fraud. I guess the gals didn't think that one through, did they? Don't forget, it's hot yoga day today, folks. So limber up and boogie down to our brand new studio. Oh, my God. Hot yoga, huh? That sounds exciting. Are you a policeman? <laughs> I'm afraid you're under arrest for mail fraud. On charges relating to a dog walking service of yours. Oh, this is exciting. Me? We're being arrested. You have the right to remain silent. The arrests send a shockwave through the spring-in-your-step retirement village. The news that Flo and B are fraudsters is hard to believe. By the court. By busting Flo and B for mail fraud, Detective Carey can also question them about the hit-and-run that killed Frank. What's all this fuss about, Detective? Honestly, do we look like crooks? You seem such a sweet, smart young man. And so handsome, ooh, isn't ooh, he, Flo? Ooh, handsome, handsome. Oh. oh. This is all you fault, you imbecile. Don't you start on me, you old bat. Oh. Oh. The mail fraud charges are enough for Detective Carey to get a search warrant for Flo and B's apartment. Carrie finds some very intriguing items. What looks like a license plate number on the sticky note. And a driver's license that doesn't belong to either of them. Detective Carrie discovers that the license was reported stolen a month ago. Bingo. 
Take a look at this. And the license plate tag number on the sticky note traces to a local car rental company. Seems like our light-fingered ladies didn't do too much to cover their tracks. You'd think they'd be more careful, but it's surprisingly common for crooks to make careless mistakes when they think they're getting away with something. As it is, their house is a treasure chest of incriminating evidence, like a signature stamp with Frank's old John Hancock, a stolen license, a tag. They might as well have drawn our detective a map with X marking the spot. The rental company confirms that the two old ladies returned the car with a damaged grill the same night Frank was killed. Detective Carey sees what looks like blood on the front grill. He swabs it and will send it to forensics for DNA testing. I guess they should have gone to the car wash. It's obvious that Flo and B mowed down Frank. But what would motivate these two old biddies to kill and then cash in? They could easily afford to live in a place like Spring in Your Step Retirement Village. So why? For thrills? Could they really be that bored? Or maybe they're not as flush as they're making themselves out to be. Detective Carey knows he has a pair of killers in his custody. He's hoping that if he applies some pressure, he can get them to confess. What's all this fuss about, Detective? Surely a little fib about a dog walking business doesn't warrant a jail cell. How awful. That poor, lovely man. The lab results show that the blood on the car grill matches Frank's DNA. Can you explain to me how this poor man's blood ended up all over the car that you two rented? <laughs> Jigs up, ladies. If you know it's good for you, you'll start talking. You've got us. Oh, shut up! Shut up, you fool! You shut up, shut up yourself, Flo. You were the one that started it anyway. Ah, oh, you're such an imbecile. We have some very special guests tonight, folks. Back by popular demand, all the way from sunny California, it's Captain and Tennille. They're gonna do it for us one more time. Oh, I just love it. But it's so expensive, Flo. I can't afford this. Maybe we can find some other place. That, that place down in Boca. Oh, not a chance. I'm not spending my sunset years in some shanty town surrounded by the sunburned hoi polloi. This is the place. We've got to be realistic. We're retired. Oh, I'm being realistic, all right. Don't you worry. I have a very realistic retirement plan for both of us. It only stretches so far, you know. Your savings, your pension, your husband's life insurance. B tells investigators that she and Flo just didn't have enough money saved for retirement. Not if they wanted to live in a place like Spring in Your Step. So the prospect of trading down didn't appeal to either of them, especially not to Flo, who's obviously the brains of the operation. I guess there are weirder motives out there. But anyway, when Flo's husband died, she learned a few things about how life insurance works, and she came up with a plan to make the rest of her retirement as comfortable as possible. But she couldn't do it on her own. The scam was more convincing with a sidekick like B. It's a simple plan. Take in and insure a homeless person no one will miss. They die in an accident. But a half million dollars, I mean, that doesn't keep you in the lap of luxury for long. Not if you're these gals. So with Frank, they didn't stop at just one insurance policy. Are you sure about this? Don't worry. This little stamp is going to make us rich. Once they had Frank's signature, they could take out as many policies as they liked from different companies. As long as the monthly premiums were paid, no one asked any questions. They just had to wait two years for the policies to mature. And I can't remember if it was Jimmy or Mick. <laughs> and once they thought those two years were up, Flo and B set to work. Would you like another? Uh. <laughs> or Jimmy. Oh, not again. Oh. Heard that story so many times. 
He's out. He's out. Let's go. I knew we should have gone to Pilates last week. <laughs> Help me up, would you? <laughs> Flow and B tried to get away with murder and get a huge payout, but they made a critical mistake. All right, okay, come on, let's do it. All right, go, go. Okay. But we screwed up the timing. The insurance wasn't mature, so they sent this investigator. You screwed up the timing, not we. That was your job, you imbecile. My job. You said you would keep track. Oh, you think you're so smart. Flo and B are convicted on insurance fraud charges and Frank's murder. They get life without parole, and their sentences are to be served in the same prison. I can't believe this. You can't believe this. You better watch your back in the food line. Well, you better make sure I'm insured first. You old crone. We could have been sitting in Boca by now. Oh, they say you're never too old to try new things, and it turns out that's just as true for grifting and murder as it is for same lawn bowling. Flo and B looked like your typical harmless old ladies enjoying a golden sunset, but beneath those peace and love mumus, B was a limousine liberal who didn't want to travel coach in her old age, so she hitched a ride with Flo, and Flo herself. Well, that blue blood of hers ran ice cold when it came to living the good life. She'd never trade that Gucci bag for a cheap knockoff. And as for the hapless victim, he too thought he'd landed in the lap of luxury. He didn't realize he was just a cash cow being fattened up for the slaughter, one premium at a time. You know, there are easier ways to fund that retirement, folks. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or Seven Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.